Peter Hill Explains, where I invite you to join the science teaching conversation with me about Gravitational Waves, a Wikipedia reading, episode 2. Now we're getting on to the sort of introduction, uh, the sort of like history of uh, how they were thought of and who discovered them and how they were discovered. Now we're going to do the physical effects, the effects of passing, it's called. It's sort of the perhaps the worst heading section I've ever seen. Gravitational waves are constantly passing Earths. However, even the strongest have a minuscule effect on their sources, are generally at a great distance. For example, the waves given off by the cataclysmic final merger, DW1509-14, reached Earth after travelling over a billion light years. That's a thousand million years. As a ripple in space-time that changed the length of the four-kilometre LIGO arm by a thousandth the width of a proton. Proportionally equivalent to changing the distance uh, to the nearest star outside the solar system by one hair's width. So that's a fair distance. This tiny effect uh, from even extreme gravitational waves makes them observable on Earth only with the most sophisticated detectors. The effects of passing gravitational waves in an extremely exaggerated form can be visualised by imagining a perfectly flat region of space-time with a grouping of motionless test particles lying in a plane, the surface of a computer screen. As the gravitational wave passes through the particles along the line perpendicular to the plane of the particles, i.e. following the observer's line of vision to the screen, the particles will follow a distortion of space-time oscillating in a cruciform manner as shown in the animation. So um, that is squeeze out and out, in and out. The area enclosed by the test particles does not change and there is no motion along the direction of propagation. Isn't that amazing? So uh, it, the X reduces but the Y, y increases for an area. So we mentioned. The oscillations depicted in the animation are exaggerated for the purpose of the discussion. In reality, a gravitational wave has a very small amplitude formulated in linearized gravity. However, they help illustrate the kind of oscillations associated with gravitational waves produced by a pair of masses in circular orbit. In this case, the amplitude of the gravitational wave is constant, but the plane of polarization changes as it rotates. Um, at twice the orbital rate. So you can imagine uh, that it's, um, when it's you know, they're coming back and towards you, the polarization of the wave. So that's the polarization is the direction of oscillation. Um, or periodic space-time strain exhibits a variation as shown in the animation. If the masses, if the orbit of the masses is elliptical, then gravitational Amplitude also varies with time according to Einstein's quadrupole formula. So you can imagine that the, um, the amplitude changes. You can imagine if it's elliptical, they're coming very fast and slow down a bit. As with other waves, there are a number of characteristics used to describe a gravitational wave. Amplitude, usually denoted H, is the size of the wave, the fraction of stretching and squeezing in the animation. The amplitude is roughly h equals uh, 0.5 or 50 percent. Um, 
here, shown here, the gravitational waves passing Earth are six trillion times weak, weaker. That is H, the oscillation is 10 to the minus 20. Frequency, usually denoted F, is the frequency with which the wave oscillates. One divided by the amount of time between successive maximum stretches and squeezes. Wavelength, usually denoted lambda, is the distance along the wave between the points of maximum uh, stretch or squeeze. Speed is the speed for which the point of the wave, for example a point of maximum stretch or squeeze, travels. For gravitational waves with small amplitude, the wavelength speed is equal to the speed of light. C. The speed, wavelength and frequency of gravitational waves are related by the equation C equals F uh, lambda F just like the light equation, light wave. For example, animations here shown to oscillate roughly once every two seconds. This would correspond to a frequency of 0.5 hertz and a wavelength about um, 6,000 um, 6, um, times uh, kilometers from Earth and uh, that's 47 Earth diameters. So the moon's roughly uh, um, 300 and the diameter of the Earth, just trying to think what the diameter of the Earth is, uh, is I think 12,000 kilometers. So 12 and that's about 30, 30 Earths. Okay, that's page 5, turn to page 6. In the above example, it is assumed that the wave is linearly polarized with a plus polarization written as H+. Plus. The polarization of gravitational waves is just like the polarization of light except that the polarizations of gravitational waves are 45 degrees apart as opposed to 90 degrees apart. It's a bit hard to get your mind around that one. In particular, the cross-polarized gravitational wave Hx, uh, the effect of the test particles would be basically the same. But rotated by 45 degrees as shown in the second animation. Just as light polarization, the polarization of gravitational waves may also be expressed in circularly polarized waves. Gravitational waves are polarized because of the nature of their source. And so you can imagine um, you'd be able to work out this like there's two ways, but it seems about 45 degrees. So it means can you tell the difference between the polarized wave, say the orbiting flat or bolt upright or 45 degrees, does that, does that really make, it's really interesting. Sources. In general terms, gravitational waves are radiated by objects whose motion involves acceleration and its change. Provided the motion is not perfectly spherical, symmetric like expanding and contracting sphere, or rotationally symmetric like a spinning disc or sphere. A simple example uh, of this principle is the spinning dumbbell. If the dumbbell spins around its axis of symmetry, it will not radiate uh, gravitational waves. If it makes end over end, as the case of two planets orbiting each other, it will radiate gravitational waves. The heavier the dumbbell and the faster it tumbles, the greater the gravitational radiation it will give off. In extreme cases, such as when two weights of a dumbbell are massive stars, like neutron stars, or black holes orbiting each other quickly, then significant amounts of radiation gravitational radiation is given off. Some more detailed example. Two objects orbiting each other as the planet 
would orbit the sun will radiate. A spinning non-axiosymmetric planetoid, say, has a large bump or dimple on the equator, will radiate. A supernova will radiate, except in the unlikely event the explosion is perfectly symmetrical, regarded as a consequence of the principle of conservation of linear momentum. Okay, so an isolated non-spinning solar object moving at constant velocity will not radiate. This can be regarded as a consequence of the principle of conservation of linear momentum. A spinning disk will not radiate. This can be regarded as a consequence of the principle of conservation of angular momentum. However, it will show the gravitometric effects, magnetic effects, and this is the Barnett's principle. So if I spin something up fast enough, I can, um, uh, and it's thermally arranged, I can get more particles to spin up, spin down for it. A spherically pulsating spherical star, non-zero monopole moment or, or mass, but zero quadrupole moment, and will not radiate in agreement with the Birkhoff's theorem. More technically, the second time derivative of the quadrupole moment, the lth time derivative of the lth multipole moment, is of an isolated system, stress energy tensor must be non-zero in order to emit gravitational radiation. This is analogous to changing the dipole moment of a charge or current uh, with it's necessary for the emission of electromagnetic radiation. And that is <coughs> that um, you can have an atom and it's um, um, it will be an oscillating dipole. There will be acceleration of charges, but that acceleration of charges will not will uh, radiate a very short distance into space, and then that space will radiate back into it. So the energy is conserved. It's when you get a dipole transition that you get the emission of radiation. That's page six. Binaries I talked about. Gravitational Gravitational waves carry energy away from the sources and, in the case of orbiting bodies, this is associated with an in-spiral decrease of the orbit. So this is why it goes whoop, whoop. It's, it's radiating energy and then losing rotational energy. Imagine an example of a simple system of two masses such as the Earth and Sun system, moving slowly compared to the speed of light in circular orbits. These two masses orbit each other with a circular orbit in the xy plane. To a good approximation, the masses follow Keplerian, Keplerian orbits. However, such an orbit represents a change in quadrupole moment. That is, the system will give off radio, uh, radiation waves. Will it? Uh, it's not actually going to. It'll be in the plane of. Um, it's in the XY plane and be polarized, a time polarized. In theory, the loss of energy through gravitational radiation could eventually drop the Earth into the Sun. However, the total energy of the Earth orbiting the Sun, kinetic energy plus gravitational potential energy, is about 10 to uh, 1.14 by 10 to 36 joules, of which only 200 watts joules per second is lost through gravitational radiation, leading to a decay of the orbit of around uh, 1 by 10 to the minus 15 meters per day, or roughly the diameter of a proton. A proton, 
is one femton meter. There you go. At this rate, it would take the Earth approximately 10 to the 13 times more than the current age of the universe to spiral into the Sun. This estimate overlooks the decrease in R over time, but the radius varies only slowly for most of the time, and then plunges at later stages RT equals R naught. Uh, time 1 into 1t by t to coalesce to the quarter. With R0 at the initial radius, t to coalesce, the total time needed to fully coalesce. More generally, the rate of orbital decay can be approximated by drdt equals 64 and 5. Now, that's a real general, general relativity number. g to the th Third, the gravitational constants to the third, which is an incredibly small number. C to the five, which is also another incredibly big number. Uh, the two masses, uh, the product of the two masses, the sum of the two masses on R cubed, where R is the separation of the bodies. T is time, G is the gravitational constant, C is the like M1 and M2 are the masses of the body. This leads to expected time to measure of t equals 5 over 256, c to the 5th, g to the 3rd, um, r to the 4th, over the product and sum. The product times the sum of the masses. Well, you've really got no hope there in terms of if you pick up a small r and absolutely large masses you'll be able to get coalescing. Compact stars like white dwarfs and neutron stars can be constituents of binaries. For example, a pair of solar mass neutron stars in a circular orbit, a separation of 1.89 by 10 to the 8 kilometers, which is um, um, 189,000 kilometers, which is um, sort of like a tenth the orbit, that's even inside the orbit of, of Mercury, has an orbital period of 1,000 seconds, which is about a quarter of an hour, isn't it? Except the lifetime of um, 1.3 by 10 to the 13 seconds. Um, so that's a long time. Oh, I, I, was, I was about to calculate it, but it says... 114,000 years. Such a system would be observable by ELISA if it was not too far away. A far away, a greater number of white dwarf binaries exist within orbital periods in this range. White dwarf binaries have masses the order of the Sun, and diameters the order of the Earth. They cannot get much closer together than 10,000 kilometers before they will merge, explode in a supernova which would also end the emission of gravitational waves. Until then, the gravitational radiation would be comparable to that of a neutron star binary. So you can see the merging and energy transfer. I'm just a bit eaten alive by... Now the frogs don't are pissed out of my pool. They, they're now going to unleash the mosquitoes on me. Come on, frogs, you know you've got to eat the mosquitoes. No, it's 10 to the 8. I'm just a bit concerned about here. Uh, the orbit of a neutron binary uh, has decayed by 1.89 by 10 to the 6 um, metres. Okay, it's, it's uh, 2,000 kilometres. Its remaining lifetime is about uh, 130,000 seconds or 36 hours. Uh, 
The orbital frequency will vary from 1 orbit per second at the start to 918 orbits per second when the orbit has shrunk to 20 kilometers at the merger. The majority of gravity radiation emitted will be at twice the orbital frequency just before the merger. So you can see if it's a quadrupole uh, uh, binary thing, it's you get as much you get as much radiation as the two paddles coming forward together as a part. You can see that that, that sort of makes sense. Um, LIGO has only a few minutes to observe the merger out of a total lifetime of several billion years. In August 2017, LIGO and Virgo observed the first binary neutron star inward spiral, and 70 observatories have collaborated to detect the electromagnetic counterpart. I thought there was more than that. Uh, a kilonova, not a supernova, but absolutely in the galaxy NGC 4993, 80 megaparsecs away, emitting a short gamma ray burst. So that's where they come from at the major, follow the major optical transit, AT, AT, 2017 GFO, uh, powered by R process nuclei. It's a rapid, rapid neutron absorption. So these are nuclei which are just impossibly built by with a huge number of neutrons in them. Advanced LIGO detector uh, should be able to detect such events up to 200 megaparsecs away. Within this range, there's an order of 40 events expected per year. Black hole binaries. Black hole binaries emit gravitational waves during their inward spiral merger and ring down phases. The largest amplitude of emission occurs during the merger phase, which can be modelled with the techniques of numerical relativity. The first direct detection of gravity waves, G1509, of 14 came from the merger of two black holes. Supernova. A supernova, rather than a kilonova, is a transient atomic astronomical event that occurs during the last stellar evolutionary stages of a massive star's life, whose dramatic and catastrophic destruction is marked by one final titanic explosion. This explosion can happen in one of many ways, obviously it can't happen in many ways at once. Um, but in all of them, a significant proportion of the matter of the star is blown away into a surrounding space in extremely high velocities, up to 10% of the speed of light. Unless there is a perfectly spherical symmetry in these explosions, unless the matter is spewed out evenly in all directions, there will be a gravitational radiation from the explosion. This is because the gravitational waves are generated by the changing quadrupole moment, which can be, happen only when the asymmetrical movement of masses. Uh, since the exact mechanisms by which supernova take place are not fully understood, it cannot. Uh, it is not easy to model the use uh, gravitational radiation emitted by them. I don't think anyone bothers, quite honestly. Spinning neutron stars. Okay, it's it's interesting that. Uh, there's so many supernovas happening all the time in galaxies, they're just all plopping up. We've got too many galaxies.
As noted above, the mass distribution will emit gravitational radiation only when there is a spherically asymmetric motion amongst the masses. A spinning neutron star will generate no gravitational radiation because neutron stars are highly dense objects with a strong gravitational field that keeps them almost perfectly spherical. In some cases, however, there might be slight deformities of the surface called pounds, which can be bumps extending no more than 10 centimetres above the surface that make spinning lyrically asymmetric. Um, this gives the star a quadrupole moment and changes with time and will emit gravitational waves until the deformities are smoothed out. So, we're going to stop there because I can't see page 10. another story comes to a close. It's been a pleasure sharing this moment in time with you. May you discover truly amazing things, understand them and tell others. Thanks for listening.